Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. We like to pride ourselves on the podcast for staying ahead of the curve on the topics that matter to 905ers and Ontarians at large. We've been discussing planning and housing affordability long before this summer made it the it issue of Canada. Right now, it seems that everyone at every level of power in Canada is talking about getting housing done right. Chances are your mayor is talking about it. Doug Ford is talking about it. Pierre Poyer is talking about it. And Justin Trudeau is talking about it. All of the power brokers are talking about what policies and taxes they are going to levy or axe to spur the boon of housing construction we are going to need over the next 10 years to finally tackle this crisis once and for all. While freeing up bureaucracy and red tape, as well as HST on new builds are all well and good from a policy analyst's point of view, the question we haven't heard answered is, who's going to be doing the building? The one aspect of the housing crisis which has seemed to fall into the background is perhaps the most important one to consider. Our huge gap in skilled trade labor in the workforce. As more and more carpenters, electricians, plumbers, bricklayers, and just about everyone else who goes into building our homes retire, we are not replacing them at a suitable rate. For years, we have heard that there are just not enough skilled workers to meet the demand of the market, which made us ask the question, just how bad is it out there? To answer that, we invited onto the podcast, Craig Brockwell. Craig is a former tech teacher in the Ontario high school system. He has studied architecture and is a carpenter by trade. He has worked in government relations for the Ontario Secondary Schools Teachers Federation, as well as Support Ontario Youth, a not-for-profit which works to encourage young people in Ontario to get into the trades. For much of his career, Craig has advocated for greater focus on the trades and how to get more young people to take a career in the trades more seriously. He is also critical of the lack of focus this important aspect of the housing crisis has received from our elected officials. Today, Craig joins us to discuss how bad the gap in the skilled trades is at this moment and how our education system can do better to fill that gap. Okay, thank you to Craig Brockwell for coming on to the podcast today to talk something about again about the housing crisis, but this is an angle that we think has not been addressed really in much depth in any of the media uh, to date. And that is the the black hole of skilled trades laborers that are going to build the, these these houses that we we're, we're going to need for the next ten years. Craig, uh, thank you very much for coming on to the 905er today. I appreciate it. Uh, as you said, uh, an element of the skills, tr- uh, sorry, the, well, I call it the skills trades uh, crisis, but um, the housing crisis that actually, it, as you said, has been overlooked. So I'm, I'm pleased that you're taking it on. So t- get, give us a, a sense of what, what the problem is right now. Because um, we're, we're, I mean, we're hearing about, oh, we need to build, 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 and I don't think anybody's refuting that fact. But you, we had a Twitter conversation, and you brought up a good point that 
basically who, who's going to do the building. And I want I can you, can you kind of give our listeners a bit of a, a a sense of how big of a gap is that between the the reality on the ground and what we hope is going to happen in ten years. So um, I started teaching in uh, 1985-86. There was a skills trades gap back then. Um, it exists today. It's probably been exacerbated. Uh, um, hasn't been solved in the last uh, whatever number of years. Um, I'll look at it from. So that's a sort of a historical approach that it's always been around at least as long as I've uh, been teaching or been in uh, government relations work. Um, in the last number of years, a number of reports by various organizations, RBC, uh, Canadian Apprenticeship Forum, any number of them, all indicate the same thing. Um, over the next five to six years, close to a million journey persons will be retiring. And if I look across North America, because the U.S. and, and other countries have the same uh, challenge, uh, for every five journey persons that are retiring, two are coming in as apprentices. So obviously, it's a it's a huge gap when we project that, um, and it goes across all trades. So uh, pretty substantial, and again, fully vetted and uh, fully reported by any number of reports. The now what we keep hearing from our, our provincial government, um, you know, they, they they want to tote on the importance of skill trades. Like the the that theme is not exclusive, I think, to Doug Ford or the. Pre- Ontario PC government, although they have really kind of doubled down on it in the last few years, in my opinion, but we'll get to that later. I, I mean, I remember the during the McGuinty years of the Liberals, there was a big push on encouraging students to go into the skilled trades through college, or colleges and apprenticeship programs and whatnot. And I'm wondering, why, why is it that we're always playing catch up on this file? Like it, it, it we keep hearing it's important. It's important. It, it, it's it's the way you know what we need for, to make Ontario great again. Part of my my euphemism, but yet we never seem to get meet that what we need. I'm wondering why why are we always playing catch up on this? Well, I'll look at it from two perspectives. So one is I'd give the present government and even the federal government an A plus on promotion of the skilled trades. Even the previous liberal government, they were doing well moving into the the, the latter part of their part of their term in promoting the skilled trades. That's a passive approach to a to a problem-solving uh, situation. So it's great that they're, uh, that they're saying that you should go into the skilled trades, this, that, and everything. But there are more substantive initiatives that a government can implement in order to actually solve the problem. And even the present uh, conservative government, because most of the responsibility for skilled trades lies at the provincial level, mm-hmm. um, but um, they've just danced around the edges. And most governments historically have just danced around the edges. They utilize wage subsidies as probably the bulk of their responses to solving the skills gap. I can tell you that a wage subsidy only goes so far. You give that wage subsidy to an employer, they'll hire an apprentice for the period of time that that money's there. Once that money's uh, dried up, they'll let that person go. For any number of reasons, they'll say that the work is dried up and any number of uh, reasons or excuses from my perspective. The other thing is that um, governments seem to focus all of their attention on the unionized world. If we look across the workplace landscape, employment landscape, roughly about 70% is non-organized or non-union. 
thirty uh, percent is unionized. You invariably see either it's Minister O'Regan or former Minister uh, uh, McNaughton standing in front of a union hall. I'm a unionist. I, I appreciate the the value of a union, but you're not going to solve a problem if you're only addressing thirty percent of the problem. And that's what governments inherently do. They because from a political perspective, it you know solves some of their problems. The other uh, challenge is, and especially in construction as it relates to to housing, most of the landscape is not an organized landscape. It's small to medium-sized business owners who don't have an HR department, Hmm. who don't have the capacity or the knowledge to take on an apprentice and then follow them through uh, through their journey to becoming a journey person. So there's any number of solutions that could be implemented uh, that would target the largest part of the pie and governments just don't do it. So, so for example, what, what, what kind of things would, do you think we would, we need to see, which would address those, those specifically those, the small and medium sized business owners um, and, and helping them to, to take on additional staff or to train additional staff? Well, um, so my former employer and they were, before they were my former employer, they were my former client, Support Ontario Youth. We have basically, from my perspective, solved a number of those issues. So what Support Ontario Youth does is they use a triage uh, policy or or, um, or target or uh, mechanism. So if someone is interested in a skilled trade, they'll go on to the Support Ontario Youth website. They'll fill out a skills assessment. And... Um, what that will do is, and it's uh, tried and true, it's been utilized in other countries around the world, uh, the technology, um, it will identify if they are suited to the skilled trade and what particular trade they're best suited for. This helps an employer, especially a small employer, because quite often it's a case that someone will say, or their parents will you know, chide them into, so a young person goes into a particular skilled trade, not suited for it. So what this triage process does is it identifies the best skills necessary in order to go forward in a particular trade. That's important. So on the front front end of it. Then what it does is Support Ontario Youth actually holds the RTA, which is a registered training agreement. That's the first step in going through an apprenticeship. So we hold that or Support Ontario Youth holds that RTA, which allows for mobility. So at the same time, we've already assessed our employers and we've identified the best apprentice for a particular employer. So we match them and they'll go in there. If we've mismatched them, then because we hold the RTA, if that employer identifies to us that they don't like that particular apprentice, we'll take that apprentice back, find them a different placement, and we'll uh, sub in a different uh, apprentice that's better suited to that employer. That's one. Because we're holding the RTA, we will follow because there's there's extensive re- requirements for a journey person or an employer um, to identify uh, the skill sets for the apprentices that are there. So we call them competencies. So um, that process is laborious often for someone who is, because many of these employers from small to medium sized businesses are still on the tools. And in other words, they're still part of the work environment. They're not just supervising, they're actually getting their hands dirty. So you work a eight to 10 to 12 hour day, you go home and you try and manage your business as you might expect, It's it can be taxing. So 
we take on those roles mm-hmm. of the identification of the skill sets in conversation with the employer, the recording of them, and the transferring of that information to the ministry level. Then at the same time, we will provide wage subsidies or wage top-ups um, for the apprentice when they go into school. Uh, we provide mentors for both the employer and the apprentice, which is necessary. So we'll, uh, we'll mentor the employers to say how to grow the business, how to manage the apprentices that they have in future, so on and so forth. If we have access to wage subsidies, we'll actually provide those wage subsidies to, to an employer, uh, so on and so forth. Um, so I guess I guess uh, right. just I mean well, I I run a small business uh, very different field not not in this kind of field but suddenly uh, we've had summer students and things like this over the years which were funded by federal grants actually but it doesn't and yeah I mean it it's a massive amount of work even even a simple. Uh, uh, project and, and for good reason because the government shouldn't be just throwing money at people without some kind of checks and balances and application forms and all the rest of it but but still it's 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 if you're a small business and you're like you say you're actually you know, the boss is still the person who's who's doing a bunch of the work uh of the actual work so to speak um it, it's it's really impractical very often to i mean it's i can certainly say again very different field but i can certainly say he has put me off applying for money the thought of oh my goodness i'm gonna have to do all this admin i'm gonna have to do uh you know i don't have time to do this i'm trying to earn a living you know uh so yeah it it it, it seems from what you're saying that 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 the you know help ontario youth is 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 uh it's doing that kind of thing, taking the burden off, taking the burden off the business, and um, uh, just making it, making the process simpler. Is there? Um, I mean, I guess another side to the, to this is why, given the skilled trades, you know, are really these are these are good jobs. These are jobs that should pay well. They're they're, they're skilled. <laughs> um, um, these are jobs which often they're not going to go away. You're not going to be sort of re- you know, um, uh, many skilled trades are, um, to an extent, kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, immune from from economic upturns and downturns. I'm thinking of sort of plumbing or electricity, electricians or things like this. Um, uh, why aren't they more attractive to people? Why? Why are? Why? Why is it that we we have a sort of struggle to actually get people to want to do these jobs? Well, I think it's a whole host of things, and I'll even look at myself. So I have uh, two sons, 11 years apart, but when they were both in high school, they were high-performing academic students, so in the 90s. So they were uh, they did well in school. They did well in math, particularly. Uh, they did well in English. Those are two of the traits that you need in virtually all of the skilled traits. Um, but we as parents, we look at... Um, I guess the post-secondary journey, work journey for most of our kids in in a, in this sort of fashion. So top to bottom, we look at university first, college second, and the trades, you know, well down the list in third and well down from there. But if we turn that on the side, we actually should be looking at our uh, post-secondary education for our kids on a level playing field. You can choose any one of the three. Um, so... We look upon those as parents in a lesser light. So the skilled trades, we look upon them as a lesser light. Or we imagine that you need to be 
less educated in order to go in there. Or if you're having a problem in, in math or English, um, maybe that's where you go. I'll give you a perfect example. I'm teaching tech at the high school level in the late 80s. Guidance counselor comes down and says, Betty here, um, she's not very good in math and she's not very good in English. Uh, Craig, can you teach her to be a trade? Give her a trade. I'll say, well, you know, in my mind, I'm saying exactly what I enunciated to you, that uh, everyone's looking at it from a lesser light, including this academic person that's trying to find a path for the students. But you know what? I'll take the student on. Maybe they've got a learning disability. Maybe they don't quite translate the academic or the or the um, uh, you know the the in school portion to a practical environment. So we'll see what we can do. But um, in all likelihood, if they're not very good at math, they're not very good at English, they're not going to do well in a trade. So that's one of the things is there's a stigma attached to the skilled trades. Um, secondly, um, uh, starting in the mid mid to late eighties. The, I guess the traditional shops vanished from the high school environment. We went to uh, what what I call the pretty the pretty shops, where you would simulate um, some of the tasks that you would do in the in the skilled trade. You got rid of the auto shop, you got rid of the electrical shop, and so on and so forth. So we, at least in Ontario and probably across the world, other than Europe, we got rid of those things. So those are two of the reasons. Um, I want to on that note, I kind of want to bring up to modern era and one of the big things that doug ford and stupid leche have been uh selling is the you can leave high school at grade 11 uh if you want to go into uh to pursue an apprenticeship um i i i personally view this as has all fraughts of problems that i think will will exactly be evident down the road but i kind of see where you're talking about that stigma of the skilled trades of your because you, you don't do well at school. Well, then we're just going to put you into a skilled. You're, you're just going to go be a plumber or a carpenter or electrician, like it's a lesser career option. Um, and I'm wondering this policy of just getting kids out of high school faster to put them in skilled trades. How how's, what what does the industry think of that? What how do you view that? Does it harm? Does it help? Does it is it a, a good policy or is it just we're going to have bigger problems down the road um for these kids who just who 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 are going into something for to make a quick buck i, I would assume so uh terrible policy however there is uh the responses from the industry are mixed and my sense is because I had some ideas as to why it was implemented. First off, historically, there was a program similar to this uh, implemented in the, the late 80s. It was woefully uh, poorly uh, adopted. There was, I think, in the program across the province, maybe 100 and 110 kids that actually uh, went that route. Um, because I think most most of the, uh, those situations back then, the parents identified that they didn't want their kid going off at an early age into it because of safety reasons, because of any number of reasons. They probably felt they weren't prepared. Um, from my perspective, when I saw it, I said, oh, God, so this is deja vu, number one. And number two, it's a terrible, a terrible. So the government and, and other governments have always said, well, you know, um, it's a great, uh, a great uh, venue or a great avenue to go for work life, to go into a, a trade. Um, and we're talking about the importance of the trades and so on and so forth. And now we're, we're undermining it to say that you don't have to have your maths and you don't have to have your Englishes 
and and you can go out into the workforce. I think it was pandering to some of uh, the Ford government uh, uh, union friends. Um, nothing again against the unions going after labor, but I think it was just to find easy labor for many of these people. So invariably, I'll, my bet is that most of those people that might avail themselves of this particular program, um, they'll just be laborers their whole life. They won't necessarily, unless they do have uh, some smarts, they won't necessarily follow through and become a journey person. Um, so it's just finding labor, easy and and, and simple labor. It, it's, it strikes me as kind of backwards because I, I'm, a, I'm not a, I'm not a trades person. I'm not a journeyman. So I'm I'm kind of giving my opinion of what I'm viewing from the outside in. But I've always figured a, a kid who graduates from high school goes to college to pursue an apprenticeship in whatever field that they want, gets the skills. The idea is, okay, I'm going to go out, get hired by a company, or figure out how to make this, make a go of this, figure out kind of what the what is like practically to do the job. And then maybe in five or 10 years, I'm going to branch off, going to form my own company. I'm going to take a loan. I'm going to go, I'm going to become an electrician for hire because I see all these homes being built. And I say, you know what? I'm going to get a cut of that, that pie. I'm going to, I'm going to form my company. I'm going to go go in and, and do the work or do the 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 fix it jobs that need to be done and to me that's what I would do like looking looking back if I if I had to it's redo it all, the case if I had to yeah, redo it like 10 20 years ago maybe I would pursue that 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 line of work um and I, like and I guess I'm just it kind of comes back to the kind of branding problem in my mind is that you know are are we equipping kids to be able to make those choices say because running a business is a lot different than just being a tradesperson that there's a lot like you do need that math you need to have you need to be able to understand the contracts and all that that you're getting into while at the same time you have a passion for plumbing carpentry electrical work whatever the case may be and like are we just setting ourselves up for a bigger problem down the road where we don't allow yes yeah 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 we are without a doubt um, to your point, that's what I would tell you. And again, that's one of the reasons why those organizations like Support Ontario Youth exist, because often um, outside of the time that it takes them, uh, if you're still on the on the tools as an employer to, to manage your business, um, if you don't have the math and you don't have the English level, then you're relying on other people in order to run those aspects of your business. It might be your spouse. It might be a lawyer. It might be additional costs because you've had to hire um, any number of individuals. So yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge. Um, And it's just not going to get there. Right. And we are setting ourselves up for uh, failure ultimately. What, what are we, what are we facing in the, in the near and and long-term Craig, in your opinion, if we don't, figure a way to get, I, let me back this up. How do we get the skilled people that we need now to start building these homes if we're, if we're already behind the, behind the curve on this, if we're, if we're, if we have this gap, how do we fill it now so that we can start building the homes that we need to, uh, to solve the crisis? Cause I can, we can, t- we've heard our, our federal and provincial politicians talk about opening land up development we're going to sell we're going to make sure municipalities open up the the pipeline to all these permits to get done to build the homes and rental accommodations that we need and that's all well and good 
but you're telling me like we just we're just gonna have empty lands because there's nobody there to build it. How how do we how do we get it done now as opposed to waiting four or five years down the road? Well, um, I don't think that it's going to be solved quickly or easily, to be quite honest, um, which means that none of the targets that the governments at any level are, are putting out will be met. Um, that's the, the reality. Again, you're not going to overnight solve uh, the lack of a million jobs um, by any number of uh, policies. Now, one of the ways that governments have chosen is to give a higher uh, rating for immigrants coming in that might have a skilled trade. Or once they're in here, targeting them or directing them towards a skilled trade. But immigration alone will not solve those problems overnight. So again, you have to implement a program that might be similar to uh, Europe. So trade schools um, um, in combination what we're doing at the high school level. Um, so that might be part of it. And again, implementing programming that helps small to medium-sized businesses to actually accelerate and take on apprentices. Again, moving the dial from uh, two apprentices per journey person retiring to three or four. We'll get to that point eventually, but it's not going to come quickly or easily. I'll give you another. I, I was in discussion about a year and a half to two years ago with a pretty large Ottawa builder. So they weren't a developer, they were a developer builder. And that's different than developers. Developers, many of them don't actually build. They just, uh, it's its speculation for, for lack of a better term or uh, maybe simply put, um, but builder. So 10 years ago, even during a crisis, even during a skills gap that existed back then, post-permitting, it took him approximately eight months to build a house. The crisis has accelerated. So now we're at the point where we are right now it now takes that builder 22 months to build a home. Huge gap. So you have additional costs as far as their, their carrying costs for their construction loans, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the task of maybe trying out an apprentice and, and not having them or finding other journey persons or just simply the cost of labor. With scarcity, obviously, uh, um, you can charge higher for your, for your, uh, your work done. So we're not going to solve it quickly or easily, but at the same time, they've got to implement. Everyone's got to work together. And Joel, you would know, and so would you, Roland, that often governments think about issues in a silo. So it's a, yes. you know, simply put, a ministerial, uh, uh, let's say, a labor issue. They'll leave it all up to labor. But labor is is both the colleges, um, it's the high schools. It's the Ministry of Labor. It's the Minister of College and Training. So outside of the college program, the training aspect of that particular file. Um, uh, it's a taxation issue, any number of issues along the way. So they have to go outside or you have to get a number of ministers working in concert and in collaboration actually to solve these problems. Government, and I understand why they do it. It's a 500-channel world. Um, they're getting inundated with information quite often, again, because they've targeted unions as being their solution. They're only getting uh, an opinion from a from a big builder uh, like uh, Alice Dawn or someone along those lines and and big unions. So they're getting their their, I guess, solutions from those two entities without going really deep and going to the small business owner and a, again, asking them what they want or those associations like the Ontario Electrical League that organizes uh, electrical contractors, small to medium-sized electrical contractors. And there are others as well that do it. And then governments have to look outside of what you think uh, is easily identifiable. So in order to build a house, I'm going to look at 
the electrical trades, the plumbing trades, the HVAC trades, and so on and so forth, carpentry, um, my own particular trade. But what we seem to um, uh, not look closely enough, in order for all that equipment to, uh, I guess, be provided or be serviced, you have to now look at the automotive sector. You have to look at the millwright and the machining sector. So it, rarely do you ever see, a, you know, a minister of labor or someone from government look at those in the same way or in the same number of opportunities to the electrical or the carpentry or so on and so forth. So it's it's a host of pro, uh, problems that have to be solved all at the same time. And I don't think the government has the capacity or the inclination actually to do it. So in, in, that, in that way, we're not going to see it happen unless homes go to a modular uh, construction method. Um, but even then, that's still not going to solve the problem. So I'm, I'm normally the guy that's pretty optimistic. Um, <laughs> but um, on the housing file, well, you'll see it, Joel, you know, on uh, in Twitter, I'll say you can't do this without that. It's just simply put. Mm -hmm. And no matter how many academics try and solve these problems, it's just not going to happen. The great ideas I've seen, uh, I've seen uh, Dr. Moffat, I've seen uh, Jennifer Kiesmat, uh, you know, promote different uh, policy initiatives that, you know, at first blush or at face value, uh, they seem like they're, their issues or their uh, regulations or their whatever that can solve the problem. But again, if you ignore the labor side of it, it's never going to get done. So that's why I'm a little bit pessimistic. It's this, when we're talking, I mean, this is another side of the housing issue, which really takes up a huge amount of what we talk about on this podcast. Uh, and certainly, you know, as we said at the outset, this is a side that no one's really talking about. Um, when you look at the, well, particularly right now, the um, the the opposition at a federal level, you know, wh who they blame when they talk about why houses aren't being built, but also, really, the 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 the, the key focus, uh, insofar in, in as not just sort of opening up lands for their buddies, in terms of the kind of uh, ideological aim of the of the Ford government, it's been to reduce what they would term as red tape, or or, or of uh, get the municipalities out of the way, put pressure on the municipalities to speed up the process. And my point, uh, my hobby horse for years now has been. I don't see that it's actually the municipalities that are the problem. Um, they, they, everything gets appealed. Everything goes through this whole process. Municipalities can't really stop anything very much. Um, and, and they can't really slow things down very much. Things tend to get appealed before the municipalities even get out of bed in the morning. Uh, but I'm thinking of just developments that I know, know of, you know, around uh, my end of the 905, uh, you know, where I can think of, them going, I remember them going through the council process. I remember them going to through the appeals process. I remember all of that. And then that was over. And that was five years ago. And maybe that development is being built now. Um, or maybe it's still waiting to be built. Um, I guess, I mean, I don't know why it isn't built, whether the developer's just sitting there and waiting, or whether it's things like the skilled trades that they're waiting to get the labor so that they can actually do the job. Is that in your experience, the kind of thing that is actually holding up developments for, for, for long periods right now? I think it's the biggest bulk of the, uh, the problem, to be quite honest, um, down my way. So in the Niagara region, you'll often see the little uh, signs, like, you know, those, those signs on the uh, H frames 
at the side of a road looking for labor, right? And looking for skilled labor. Um, uh, I can tell you that even companies, so there's a, uh, a that uh, just got a contract, I think last year down the Niger region to, to do their portion of the build uh, for about three or 4,000 homes. They're hiring people off the off the street at 40 bucks an hour. They're still not meeting the numbers that they need, even at those elevated rates, right? Because that's unheard of that you would hire someone uh, 40 bucks, uh, over 40 bucks an hour uh, off the street in order to try and fill your uh, your labor gap. Um, yeah, uh, again, to my point, there's a builder um, who now has gone from eight months to 22 months or actually 19, I think it is, um, to, to actually build a home. Um, just trying to find labor is, is near impossible. I know that my older son who owns his own company, it's a small company. Um, he's always looking for labor because there's a cycle through, right? Someone's always looking for a, a brighter, uh, a brighter new job or whatever, and they might move on. Um, my younger son works for a company with a pretty large, uh, number of employees, but he's always looking for people. Um, it's a cycle, you know, you're cycling through. Uh, people are always looking for more or, and I always like to look at the skilled trades from a realistic perspective. Yes, it's a great, um, a great avenue for labor, for work. Um, but at the same time, it's not easy. Many of these trades are, are physically demanding. I have tendonitis every year uh, because I was slugging a 26 ounce hammer. Um, I was a relatively small guy and I had to pound a three inch or three and a half inch spike uh, with a couple of hits. That's not easy when you're you know, not a big person. Um, so from a physical nature, if you're smart in the skilled trades, you'll look to get off the tools as, you know, some point, at some point down the line. And to Joel's earlier point, to go in and into business for yourself. So you can supervise, maybe do a little bit of labor, but for the most part, not be slugging your, your tools or, or getting carpal tunnel or whatever else, working the tools all day and then working the business. So, um, yeah, I, w- I would imagine that it's much of it. And I think that people in, in general don't understand the uh, jurisdictional responsibilities. So I think that probably if you ask most academics, they would say most of the responsibility for housing lies at the provincial level. So if they don't fulfill their role, then um, you're behind the uh, the eight ball. Um, then you've got the municipalities, to your point, that have a responsibility, but it's less than 60%. You know, some might argue 20 to 30%, and the rest is federal. And the federal responsibility is in general, unless they come to a uh, an agreement with the municipality or a provincial government, theirs is the tax side of the issue, right? So, and we've seen some some moves made by the, the federal government right now that looks promising, and it's basically tax issues, right? So trying to get all those together, yeah, I guess it's, you know, uh, but again, that's an even bigger can of worms and one that you might want to devote a podcast down uh, down the line to. But, uh, you know, um, revisiting the Constitution and division of powers, right? I mean, I guess, I mean, the more we look at it, as I say, to extent, this podcast has had a number of themes, uh, probably two or three themes have dominated a huge number of our, our episodes, ultimately. Uh, and suddenly, you know, I never thought that the housing uh, housing w- was a simple issue, but my goodness, it's so much more complicated than than I ever imagined. And yet, the what we see when uh, politicians are talking about it is is still so superficial. Ultimately, yeah. uh, and you know, hammering our way at these these kind of um, 
tropes really uh, of well you know the municipalities are stopping it we need to get there we need to just keep on hitting the municipalities with a stick until they build things as if a municipality can build anything until a developer comes to them and asks to build it um it, it it's so kind of depressing um coming back to that that stigma issue um i mean i think it's something we're probably we're all very aware of um that that we just don't, we have not and do not. I mean, we want to get our children to go to university. We want to get, you know, we want to get them to the best job they can, which often is going to be, I mean, it's, it's like you say, not a physically demanding job. It's an indoor job in an office. Um, it, it, you know, it requires three years at university at least. Um, uh, how do we start to counter that that stigma and say, hey, these these are really good jobs that you're kind of just not even considering as, as a possible career? Well, um, I think, again, we have to be realistic to say that it is an avenue and it's an avenue for a particular type of uh, uh, person, right? So it's not for everyone. So we have to, again, as I said, one of the things that Support Ontario Youth does is they they triage so they find the right person for the right fit. So um, that's important. Um, I guess most more exposure to the skilled trades. Um, joking, maybe a little bit jokingly, um, I, every year up until this year, I've gone to one of my former clients, the Ontario Electrical League, that uh, again represents small to medium-sized electrical contractors across the province. Um, I go to their golf tournament at Glen Abbey. Um, so have someone who's thinking about the skids going into the skilled trades drive through that parking lot sometime when they're at that golf course and see the number of Ferraris, the, you know, the $100,000 uh, cars and trucks that are in that parking lot. Those are people that are doing well, right? They're, so although um, money is not the only, uh, I guess, criteria for success, it's certainly one of the criterias for success. Um, you have to also enjoy what you're doing. But exposure is important, not only for the uh, the young people, but for their parents to see exactly what most of the skilled trades entail. Um, perhaps as a society, we have to we have to value those things. So one of those things that we overlook. So even these are all peripheral to actually solving the skilled trades. There are there is a need for cooks. I apprenticed as a young person in two trades. I followed through with carpentry, but I was apprenticing as a cook or as a chef, right? In the culinary arts. Um, we need cooks. A lot of these restaurants, some of the restaurants have closed because there's any number of reasons why it happens. One of them was the pandemic and then they couldn't pivot to actually provide a takeout uh, uh, solution to their, to their restaurants. So they may have lost it there. The other thing is that and I say this, there are two things that I guess a great majority of people want to do. One is build their own home. Don't do it if you don't know what you're doing. It. Um, that's one. Or number two is own a bar restaurant. You know, um, don't do either one unless you know what you're doing. Um, so I, I, I can vote for that la that latter one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, it it's tough. It's tough work, yeah. right? It's a subsistence living, right? Unless you don't, unless you structure your restaurant properly. Again, I come from restaurants too, right? So um, I've done a lot of things in my life, but. Um, you built so, your own home too, and it wasn't a. a it wasn't side note. It wasn't an average home, was it? <laughs> no, it was a straw bale home, and in actual fact, I went through a lean with that home as well. And so here's someone who actually. So when I worked in construction, I worked as I started off as uh, as a laborer, 
went on, got an apprenticeship, became a carpenter, journey person. Then because they identified that I had architecture in my background, it became a white hat. So I uh, did materials estimates and scheduling. Um, so here's someone that understands everything around the construction, uh, building a home or building a structure. I still went through a lean. Uh, so, and those can be time consuming. Took me uh, easily five, five to seven years to solve that lean. Um, and not to the, to the, the person who leaned me or to me, it wasn't in either one of our favorites. It's sort of shaved down the middle as far as the solution goes, but I paid more than what I should have. Um, and they got less than what they wanted, but all of those different things, you know, it's so back to my original point is we need cooks in order to feed these people that are out working during the day. So whether it's the, the truck that comes by in order to feed them, um, so we need those people again to a, a point that I made earlier. We need mechanics in order to service the heavy equipment that's needed in order to do this. But again, broadening, um, again, we, we have an, a tendency to look to think in silos. So not only government does that, but we as individuals do that. But look at all of these different things in a, in a particularly mm -hmm. different light and maybe elevate the, uh, uh I guess the, um, the job itself. So uh, most of the people in the service industry um, in in Europe, it's a trade. It's not a trade here. So around the world, they look upon these these things that maybe we don't look on as a trade, but as a trade. Um, well, it's one of the things kind of coming out of the pandemic. You know, we were we we reflected and said how it kind of upset that 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 cultural notion that we all had of kind of the hierarchy of people and we realized how much the people supposedly at the bottom of the of the ladder were important the tradesperson the 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 as you said the cooks the the all, all those people that we initially kind of said okay that's you know you're kind of lower on the rung we realized oh my gosh they're so important just for the basic functioning of society and i initially i thought okay maybe we're going to kind of see like a a bit of a reshaping of how we look on that and that hasn't really happened I, I keep hearing one of the things we've heard uh, regarding the housing crisis is that it needs to be kind of a, a wartime footing to approach it. And I, as you're talking, Craig, that kind of came back in the back of my head. In that, if we remember our history, and Roland, you probably remember this as a historian during the Second World War. You know, the 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 average Joe front person. The person on the front line was hailed as a hero. They were the one getting the job done, and the country was there to support them to fight fascism. And I'm like, why why don't we have that same attitude of that towards the tradesperson that you're going to solve this crisis? It's not it's not the the banker, it's not the the politician, it's not the counselor around the council table. It's the tradesperson who's actually going to build our way out of the crisis and it's a very i know it's a potentially a very simplistic solution but i'm thinking in terms of branding to encourage people to say i want to get into this is that a, is that a way to kind of refresh kind of reapproach this this problem if our our politicians put that campaign of the hero of the of the housing crisis is the is the journeyman the tradesperson the electrician the carpenter the plumber the 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 mechanic, the, the heavy people, duty mechanic, oh, all those God. people, and we also we're also going to. I mean, we're talking. This is an asterisk, but we've had on the podcast Flavio Volpe of the Auto Parts Manufacturers Association, 
And he's talking about how the auto industry is shifting from the traditional internal combustion engine to the electric car. And we've always said, well, what happens to those people who are busy building carburetors and exhaust systems and all the stuff? Those are highly skilled people. You know, just all those shops that are used to building those internal combustion engines, that's a wealth of resources that we can capitalize. Say, come on and start building how the the parts we need for the for the housing. I'm not saying it's a it's the solution, but it's just one of those. If we start going down that path of we champion these people as the heroes of the housing crisis, you know, we've got a ten year we've got a ten year fight ahead of us against this monster of our own creation. Um, is that it? Could this just be a way of just like let's let's start doing it? And let's this is we're gonna have to put the focus on the that the person on the ground putting the nail into the wall. So um, with support Ontario youth, I I proposed to our uh, to our ad. Uh, folks that maybe we take on an approach similar to what happens. So as parents, you know, if our kids go off to university or they graduate high school, or they graduate university, we'll put an ad in the, in the, uh, in the uh, newspaper that says my son just graduated or my daughter just graduated from the U of T at uh, this and so on. So we're so proud, blah, blah, blah. Well, why shouldn't we as parents be saying my son just achieved his journey person status in, in electrical or carpentry or so on and so forth. So you could start with an ad, you know, an ad by something along those lines. So just put the, you know, um, that ad with, uh, you know, celebrating your, your kid's success um, in the skilled trades. Um, uh, we're so close to the U.S. that so we always take U.S. examples, but Uncle Sam wants you, right? We could do a person in the skilled trades or uh, – you know the the arm mm-hmm. of the uh, the the woman uh, dealing with the uh, the airplane parts in the U.S. Rosie, the, Rosie the Riveter, yeah, Rosie the Riveter. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so yeah, we government could take on all those. You know, again, outside of just saying it's a great thing to go into, put some money into something that uh, will be striking. So maybe something simple. Um, but the other thing is that governments have a tendency to do these show and tell. So the Minister McNaughton implemented something similar to what we were doing in the skills in the trades. We did um, uh, tools in the trades boot camps. People that are going to go into a skilled trades, they want a hands-on uh, experience. Show and tell doesn't cut it for most of these kids. You know, I can I can take them to a trade show and it gives them nice little things. I can tell you that being an educator over the years, taking my kids to these show and tell type environments or experiences. Um, most of my kids didn't go into a, a skilled trade. Um, I could identify the ones that would go into it. And all they did was they used that as an outing, get away from school and so on and so forth. So take on approaches that are go- actually going to, um, I guess, mimic the experience in the skilled trades. Mm-hmm. Take on a different approach with advertising identify the importance of labor to solving the housing crisis, as you just pointed out. There's a ton of solutions. Roland, you, you, you come from this world as well that, you know, you can, you could probably envision any number of ad uh, campaigns that would maybe move the, move the dial a little bit more in the favor of solving the crisis. Right. Yeah. I mean, it really, I think it's something, something I've been aware of for a long time is, is that, I mean, I can talk about a story and this is back in, back, before I emigrated to Canada, uh, uh, basically the same problem existing in in Britain. And a colleague who was a professor, the head of department uh, where, where I was, whose 
he was proud that his son was 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 not going to go to university but was going to uh become a tradesperson because he's like well they're gonna he's gonna earn more than i earn as 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 a head of department um they're gonna have um now he had tenure but most academics did not have tenure um he's gonna have a job for life because plumbing isn't going away i don't know if it was plumbing it was something one of the or like one of those jobs have your which one was. yeah um it's like those jobs don't ever go away because even if if there's a house even if uh housing isn't happening there's still a hell of a lot of people who are going to need maintenance done uh and it was it was actually he he kind of changed it. yeah we 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 think far too many parents think well, if my child goes down that route, that's that's a failure. That's the third, like you said at the start, that's the, that's the third option. You go to university, you go to college, you go into a trade. Um, and that's completely wrong um, for, so, for so many reasons. And, and there are so many jobs that require a university education that aren't actually particularly good jobs and aren't going to make you particularly happy or wealthy or give you job security or guarantee that you'll still have that job in 30 years time because it might you know things change and might go away um and i think uh yeah i saw fundamental rethink which has to come from a government level of just education educating the public to you know don't think of these things as three equal options like you said you put it really well right at the outset think of these as three equal options uh that all offer excellent routes to a to a good career um and um but yeah i mean I've, it's, it's a global problem to it to an extent that we have this cultural bias towards getting your uni- your child to university and then you know i went to university for far too long so it's a bit rich for me to say that that's wrong but it, it is wrong that that, that it's, it's considered so so much a, a a you know if you don't do that then then you're somehow falling short let me try and address your points, and they may be tangential, uh, but um, I think they're related uh, that sort of address your point. So um, I started out in architecture. In the fourth year, I dropped out in order to see the practical, practical side of what I was doing theoretically. So I went on, became a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Having the carpentry uh, made me a better architect and vice versa, right? They made, they, they were, um, they enhanced both aspects of it. Late 1800s or early 1900s, often the route to become an architect was through a trade. So you became a tradesperson first, and then you became an architect. So maybe integrating these programs that actually touch on both the university side and the and the trade side might sort of acquiesce some of the uh, reservations that some parents have. Maybe that's a solution. I can tell you also with support Ontario youth, quite often the people that were going to come out to a tools in the trades boot camp. They were coming out because their partner or their parent saw an advertisement, uh, you know, on CHCH or uh, one of the other uh, TV stations or heard it on the radio in one of our ads about this opportunity to try and get into the skilled trades. So government targeting these towards uh, the parents, towards uh, uh, the spouses, uh, the partners, um, to try and get them interested in actually suggesting to their uh, their responsibilities, you know, their familial responsibilities. Why don't you go into this particular uh, skilled trades? So, yeah, I think that the government could uh, could put a fair amount of investment into some of that advertising and maybe even more than just a simple ad. You know, I think that we've got a maybe the government uh, could be uh, supporting um, some 
articles or a series of articles in the newspaper. So the Sunday columns that follow week by week by week uh, to try and get people uh, through, whether it's digital or whether it's the, the you know, the paper. I'm still old school. I like to have the, the newspaper in my hand, but I look at digital as well. But um, yeah, uh, they could do all of those things or promoting those organizations that actually um, are turning the dial. Because one of the points that I didn't mention is we always talk about trying to get the, the person in there, but you need the supports in order to, uh, to maintain retention rates. So uh, unions do a very, very good job of training their, uh, their apprentices and keeping them in, a, in an apprenticeship because they do the, all the different levels of support. So support Ontario youth, actually, we tailored our model of delivery on the service side to the unionized model. So it's a unionized model for those people that are non-union. That was our original intent. At this point, Support Ontario Youth still works with unions in order to try and get people in the skilled trades. But unions have traditionally about an 88 to 92% retention rate, which is important. It's not only those people that are going into the trades, more important is retaining them on through their journey persons. Support Ontario Youth has a 90%, 97% retention rate, so even higher than uh, than the unions. So we have to look at the problem, again, from a a number of different angles. So not only entry into it, but retention, um, not only looking at an apprenticeship, uh, not only looking at an apprentice, but also looking at the employer side of it, looking at the tax side, looking at the uh, labor mobility side, all of these different things. Uh, uh, one of the companies that we work with, Blue Branch, um, deals with labor mobility, right? Bringing people, labor from those areas uh, where there is high unemployment and people need jobs, to areas where they can't find work. So they'll move them across the country. They did it historically in Alberta, bringing people from the east to the west, but they now they do it in Ontario. So they take uh, people from one area where uh, uh, they have higher un uh, higher uh, unemployment to an area where they have uh, mm -hmm. the need for that labor. So again, looking at from all different aspects, um, um, targeting parents, targeting uh, maybe government, initiating some broad, uh, broad advertising and maybe some some more journalistic approach to actually educating people about the skilled trades. It sounds definitely like we're going to have to. It's not it's not a simple, quick, easy uh, campaign to fix this uh, this this void. So it, yeah, which is kind of the theme that we've heard about the solution to the housing crisis. No matter where we turn, it's never a quick, easy. Oh, that's the the simple fix to uh, to solving this particular aspect of the crisis. So um, I'd say our time is coming up uh, on the episode. So Craig, I, I want to thank you for coming on to talk about this not talked about side of the, of the housing crisis. We thank you very much for your time to come on and uh, shed a little light on what's needed to be done to get nails into the wall and pipes into the homes and, and all that uh, needed stuff. I, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. I would have pointed in on an architectural approach that might help as well, but that's maybe for another day. We'll see. Well, that uh, sounds to be a great conversation. Maybe that's a part, a, yeah, part <laughs> maybe a part two. Yeah, part two. Yeah. Anyway, I appreciate your uh, the opportunity. Uh, hopefully, some folks maybe are educated a bit, or maybe they'll go to a support interior youth website again. They're no longer my employer. I've retired and um, enjoying as much as I can life, but. Um, Find an opportunity and support Ontario youth is not the only organization that'll provide you a, a route to a journey person uh, status in a particular trade. So fantastic. 
All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Great. Take care. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.